The road we're on is paved in Garth. Come along on the journey. As we explore Garthology. Think of it more as a conversation. I like that. So if this is truly a conversation, then I say let the conversation begin. Hi guys, it's Deb. I'm Pete. And I'm Jess. Welcome back, everyone, to Garthology Episode 7. Today, we are going to finish talking about No Fences, which is Garth Brooks's second studio album. So we will do songs 6 through 10 on this one. If you haven't listened to Episode 6 yet, go back and do that. You'll hear songs 1 through 5. Now we will go to Pete, who will talk about song number 6. Yes, yes. Song number 6 is Wild Horses. But tonight I saddled up and let her down Wild horses keep dragging me away And I'll lose more than I'm gonna win someday Wild Horses was released off the No Fences album as the sixth song, written by Bill Shore and David Wills. Wild Horses was released as a single in November of 2000, where it peaked at number seven on the Billboard Hot Country single. Trisha Yearwood sang background vocals on the song, and we have talked about it many times. Alan Reynolds knew that the buzz between Garth and Trisha would be perfect for the song. Alan always called the sound of music that Garth and Trisha made together the buzz. So going forward, if we reference the buzz, that is Garth and Trisha singing together. The song is about a cowboy struggle between the rodeo and his love for a woman. The lyrics indicate that he keeps making her a promise and breaking that promise that he will quit writing. Hence the lyrics, wild horses keep dragging him away. While doing research on the song, I found that others could also take the song as a man who is repeatedly unfaithful and always forgiven but knows the forgiveness is going to end. Hence the lyrics, the way I love the rodeo, I guess I should let her go before I hurt her more than she loves me. And that goes back to that story we always talk about on how Garth's lyrics with his music and his songs can always change the difference between the song going one way and another. So I thought, well, let's go back and listen to that song thinking about it that way. And it actually makes really, really good sense. I thought that that was, um, Pretty cool to kind of compare the two of them. And then while listening to the song, it's not a song that comes up on the playlist a lot. Man, what a great song. It really, really is a super, super good like country style, I guess. like Not really a love song, but it's a, a more of a relationship style song. And I thought it was really, really cool. I, I enjoy that song so much. Do you guys have anything with the lyrics about it? I did, actually. I also took note of Trisha in the anthology talking about how well their voices blend, which it surprises me. I mean, we, the three of us, talk about that a lot. But it was the first time that I'd read that one of them acknowledged how much they harmonize so well together, how well their voices blend. So like you said, the buzz, that stood out to me as well. I really like them on this song together. And then also the same. Thing for me on that line, 
I guess I should let her go before I hurt her more than she loves me, which I think that's an interesting concept because letting her go means breaking up and her stopping loving him. It's like the idea of her no longer loving him was more hurtful to him than them actually breaking up. So I thought that was an interesting way to look at it that you would rather have this person love you still, even if you're not together, than to just no longer love you. Yeah, there was another good line in there where he says, I'll lose more than I'm going to win someday. Because he keeps talking about, because it goes back and forth between like literal wild horses, like the horses of the rodeo, and then like wild horses couldn't drag me away, kind of the proverbial horse. So when he says, I'll lose more than I'm going to win someday, It's talking about the relationship and then also kind of the more than he would win in the rodeo or more than he would win if you looked at it as like a cheating song than with another woman. Right. He's going to lose the love of this woman that he's with. And then did you guys see, because I know we use the anthology book a lot going back and forth between internet research and that, there was a quote in there from Garth and he talked about Trisha and the way that they harmonize and he said, as much as the players that played it, she was the Garth Brooks sound. Yeah. And I really loved that. I never heard him like address it in that way. But I was like, we've talked about even before. And I, I couldn't tell you what song it was now. But that when it hit the harmonies, I was like, whatever song it was, I was like, oh, there's the Garth sound. And I didn't really think about it being them, just a harmony that he used. But it really is like, to a certain degree, she is part of the Garth Brooks sound. And I had never thought about it that way. But I thought it was really cool. Right. It makes total sense. She is a part of what we all know as the Garth Brooks sound. Yeah. As much as, you know, Garth or Jimmy on the fiddle or Dave on the keys or whatever from the beginning almost. And I think that that goes back to a lot of uh, the song, like how many actual songs that she does background vocals on. And then, you know, that over the years has turned into different duets between the two of them. And it is, it's a, she is a staple of Garth's song. Yeah be interesting although i don't know that i really care to hear what the songs would be like if it was with another background vocalist other than (laughs) trisha but it would be interesting how it would change the song yeah all right so that'll do it for that song and we will pass it over to jess for song number seven all right guys song number seven is unanswered prayers sometimes i thank god for unanswered prayers Remember when you're talking To the man upstairs And just because he doesn't answer Doesn't mean he don't care The song was by Pat Alger, Larry Bastian, and Garth Brooks. So songwriters that we've talked about before and that Garth has used before. And Deb has talked about, you know, he has this well of artists that he pulls from, and these are a couple that he's clearly been able to work with a few times. Pat Alger, like we had talked about before, worked on What She's Doing Now, The Thunder Rolls, and That Summer. And he actually also recorded his own version of Unanswered Prayers. And Larry Bastian wrote Cowboy Bill and Nobody Gets Off in This Town. So Unanswered Prayers was released October 12th of 1990 as the second single off of No Fences. It reached number one on Billboard's Hot Country Songs chart in 1991. And then later it was also on the hits, the limited series, Double Live, and the ultimate hits. 
I did not know this, but also it inspired a 2010 Lifetime movie starring Eric Close and Samantha Mathis. So it, it sparked <laughs> its own film. I don't know how easy that would be to find, but I would be kind of interested to see it. And coincidentally, this was just somewhere that my brain went because I'm a big Sandra Bullock fan. And so when I read the Lifetime movie with Samantha Mathis, I was like, well, Samantha Mathis was also in 1993 in a little known movie called The Thing Called Love with Sandra Bullock. But why that was interesting is because Miss Trisha had a role in that movie as herself, a cameo. So that was like a weird connection with Samantha Mathis. If you're playing like Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever that game is called, <laughs> just connecting people because that's the way my brain works. Um, but just doing some research on the song, I think that this came from the anthology book, but Garth and Pat Alger had pretty much finished the song and then they couldn't figure out the hook, though. They had the whole rest of the story and they didn't really have a chorus or something to tie it all together. And Garth was walking along with Larry in Nashville. And he said that basically Larry just spits out the hook. And he was like, well, that's easy. It's unanswered prayers. And Garth was like, okay, well, what do you mean? And he was like, well, you're going to find that some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And Garth was like, well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it is. It's unanswered prayers. He was absolutely right. So he had a songwriting credit because he came up with the hook for the song and kind of tied it all together. And the way Garth explained it was he said he had the story and Pat turned it into this epic poem or like a little movie. And then Larry turned it into a song and tied it all together. So I thought that was a cool little story about that song. And Garth also said that this is the only song that he's ever had this happen. But when he and Pat played this song at the Bluebird, the audience gave them a standing ovation in the middle of the song after they sang the chorus for the first time before the song was even finished. The crowd was standing up, which I don't remember the first time I heard this song because I was pretty young when it came out. But I can imagine that if you were hearing it live and knowing it was a new song, I could I could just understand that response getting through that chorus and being like, this is this is something special for sure. Because I mean, how many times in your life have you prayed for something or or if you're not praying people, have you hoped for something or, you know, and then it didn't come true. And now you're so grateful that it didn't or the opposite. You know, I think anybody that's just such a human thing. Anybody can relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. Did you guys have anything? I know that you've heard the song and you know it, but did you have anything you wanted to add about this one? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to like you were saying, you know, about those times in life where you sit back and you have a prayer that, you know, you may make about something like you were just talking about and it doesn't come true. And, you know, maybe the ultimate outcome at that point is better than had it been if that prayer was answered. But I, I do, I absolutely love the song. The lyrics and everything that the song stands for to me is, it's one of my absolute favorite songs of all times. It's, it's so, so good. It's great live too. It's so good live. Every single person gets into that song. I mean, with many others, but that's one of the ones that stand out to me. Yeah. 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 I love how in the anthology, Garth talks about that it's actually a fragment of a true story for him. Like you talked about, Jess, that he had this part of a story mm -hmm. and then it built on from there. And his fragment of it was being with his wife, his first wife, Sandy, and seeing someone from a past relationship and realizing that, you know, he's happier now than he would have been had he stayed in that other relationship. So I love how it builds 
on a story that, you know, a songwriter can just give this little piece of information and then it can just go from there and it can become this entire story, like something they can write a movie on. Yeah. That's unbelievable to me that something creative can be come out of something so small and end up being so big. That really touches me. That makes me think, you know, we all have this small part to play in this world and we all come and go, but to leave something lasting that started out as nothing, you built it up, somebody else added to it, and then it becomes this great and wonderful thing. I just love the thought of that. Yeah. Okay, so I think that that's all on that song. So we'll move on to song number eight, and Deb has that one. Yes, I do have song number eight, and it is Same Old Story. The song Same Old Story was not released as a single, so it just came out with the album in August of 1990. It was written by Tony Arada, who we've discussed on previous podcasts. We are big fans of his. But to give you a little more background on him, he actually released his own album, which he teases that even MCA didn't know about it, and they were the company that released it. One of the things that Tony Arata really likes about Garth is that Garth believes in the album format. So in other words, he thinks about an entire album. He doesn't just look at what's going to be a good single or I need to have five singles and, you know, two radio songs. And he actually looks at from the beginning of an album to the end of an album and he figures out what songs are going to fit in there. And so he felt like this song, The Same Old Story, really fit into this part of the album. So looking at the lyrics for this, for me, this has just always been a song about a couple that was drifting apart. And now I see it totally differently. So this analysis made me realize the song starts out talking about a woman that loves her man more than he loves her while he's dreaming of another. And then it talks about a different relationship because it's one where the man loves the woman more, but she only hears the highway and a voice in some other town. So suddenly, kind of like I talked about before, I suddenly had like a little movie playing in my head. I've decided that the man in the first verse is actually in love with the woman from the second and the third verse. And so these four people are actually linked, that the man is thinking about the other woman and the woman is thinking at the end, they're just all linked in my head now. And so now whenever I hear that song, that's the little movie that's going to play in my head. So it's the same old story of losing someone. But to me, I put a whole other twist on it. So what did you guys think of it? I actually was on the same path of the lyrics of the song and the story that I had. 
until you just introduced what you think now. And now I'm not exactly sure what to think at all. Because you're right. The lyrics could take <laughs> four people from four different area codes and somehow all interact into this one same story. But originally, what I th- another love song, like you said, where two people, one was one was wanting to go one way and felt that the other was drifting off differently in it. Um, it wasn't a song I was very familiar with. Obviously, listening to it quite a bit uh, over this last couple of weeks while doing the research, I definitely do enjoy it. Uh, yeah, I think that the lyrics, again, we say it all the time, and I don't want to keep repeating it, but it does go back to how the lyrics could go one way, and then you look at it from a different person's uh, point of view, and it could be a completely different story, but another real good storytelling song for sure. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why, but it reminds me of a movie montage of like sad Christmas time. Like, I don't know, you know, like in rom-coms, it's like they're both devastated and (laughs) doing their own, I don't know, whatever they're doing. And it's just showing them alone. Like, that's what this song sounds like to me. And I don't know if it's like the electric piano, like the keyboard in the background. It's like a very 80s, 90s sound, which is not bad. Like, I loved it. It's very, it's kind of nostalgic to me. But I don't know. It just had a soundtrack vibe. That's all I could think when I was listening to it is that it should have been playing over some part of a movie. So we both had movies in our head. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So now we're going to go over to Pete for song number nine. Yep. Song number nine off the No Fences album is Mr. Blue. So if you decide to call on me, ask for. Mr. Blue I'm Mr. Blue When you say you love me Then prove it by going out on the slide Proving your love is untrue Call me Mr. Blue I'm Mr. Blue Mr. Blue was written by Dwayne Blackwell and was originally released by the Fleetwoods. It reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100s in November of 1959. Mr. Blue has been covered and released on albums by nine different musicians and or bands, including Garth Brooks. One of those nine is none other than Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan and the band recorded the song in 1967, and just as recent as 2014, they released it on the Bootleg Series Volume 11 the basement tapes are complete. Doing the research on it, Dwayne and Garth got to talking, and Dwayne couldn't believe that Garth loved the song. Dwayne was like, I can't believe that you love the song. I didn't even think that you would know it. So Garth had mentioned to him, uh, living in a house, being the youngest of six kids with all kinds of different music influences, that song was played a lot. And to prove it to him, Garth sang the song to him, which completely surprised Dwayne when he did that. Garth always talks about playing in Oklahoma and that in order to play in Oklahoma and to get called back, you'd have to pack the dance floor. This was a song, one that you could swing dance to, and it was always one that filled the floors. So Garth mentions in the anthology that when they would play in the small places around Oklahoma, they'd bring the song, they'd sing it, and it would fill the dance floors for sure. To me, it's a very, very sad country song, but very country. 
It's about a guy who wants a girl and she wants the complete opposite. And that makes him feel blue. Listening to the lyrics, when you talk about somebody feeling blue, it's somebody who's maybe depressed, down in the dumps, not really feeling all their best. And then a lot of times you hear people talk, well, let's go out and paint the town red. Some of my favorite lyrics to it, one verse is when Garth sings, when you paint the town a bright red to turn it upside down, I'm painting it too, but I'm painting it blue. I'm like, oh man, how sad is that? And the lyrics just over and over and over again all refer back to how happy the woman is, but yet how blue, depressed, and sad the guy is. So I think it's fantastically, it's just a fantastic, well written song. And I couldn't believe how many different people had recorded and released it. So I went on YouTube because that's the greatest thing to be able to find some of these different people. The way that the song changes in sound with vocals too, but the different instruments that they play. There's a lot of progression in that song from when it originally came out and then obviously until Garth had sang it, but very, very, very country, very sad song in my opinion. So that's what I got on. So you guys have any, any input on the lyrics or about the song? One of the things I like about it, um, it mentions in the anthology also that Garth likes to include a cowboy song on his albums. So something talking about, you know, something to do with a cowboy life. And then he also likes to include a swing tune on every album. And that's what this song represented for that album. I like that he thinks about, again, like what Tony Arata says, he thinks about the whole album. You know, he's not just picking and choosing songs at random and and just splatting something out there. He really thinks about the things that he's putting together and the order that he's putting them in. And so that gives me an appreciation for this song. It's not typically a song that I would go out of my way to listen to or have on my playlist, but I like that he gave it a place, you know, and and understanding him better for these words that people talk about him and give examples of things that he's done. I can see the place where that this song has on this album. It's interesting that you said that, that it's the swing song and not necessarily the country song, because in my notes I have, it's an old feel, but not especially country. And I hadn't looked up, like I didn't know that that was the place that it was supposed to take, but it, it really doesn't have a country sound. And in fact, at the the intro of the song, to me, sound like I listened to it and I didn't really know this song, so it was kind of listening to it fresh. And I was like, that really, really sounds like Sorry, Sorry Night. And I don't know that song, which is actually called Vincent. And I don't know that song, but I know Garth's wind show and him doing Sorry, Sorry Night and doing the little intro. And so then I went and listened to the Don McLean version of the song like that he was singing. And it really does sound like the intro to that song. And even just like the pitch of his voice in it until the chorus and then it completely changes sounds and is almost like a different song and then it's a very kind of 50s not like sock hoppy sound but a very 50s sound after that but yeah it was funny when i was listening to you and as soon as you were like it, it you know wasn't really the country and i was like no it was not it was not a very country <laughs> song but it is good i liked it i enjoyed it and it was another one that i didn't really know before. So this got me to listen to something that I would have probably just passed over and missed out on. It's kind of funny. I was listening to it and like looking over the lyrics on the Amazon music. And when you swipe up on the 
Amazon music lyrics, they'll play them in blue. <laughs> and you're listening to oh. Mr. Blue. Hey, <laughs> I'm looking at my phone like, <laughs> it's a completely different story behind it. But yeah, so uh, a lot of cool information out of that song. And with that, we will pass it over to Jess for song number 10. Song number 10 is Wolves. Well, I don't mean to be complaining, Lord. You've always seen me through And I know you've got your reasons For each and everything you do But tonight outside my window There's a lonesome morning voice Song 10 is Wolves, and it's written by Stephanie Davis. This song, I was actually very excited to have this one because we talked about that Garth kind of puts his babies at the end of the record, and I hadn't really ever thought about it until this one, so I was going into it like, okay. And I don't really know this one very well, so I was excited to listen to it, and it didn't disappoint me. I actually really like this song. It was not a single, and Stephanie Davis She's a a writer who's written for Waylon Jennings, Martina McBride. She's had five studio albums and four self-released of her own. And Garth had enough faith in her that he actually signed her on as his opening act in 1993. And she joined the road band. So I think she must have followed Trisha or maybe maybe Martina McBride followed Trisha and then she followed her. But shortly after, in 93, she took over as the opening act. And she was there at Croke Park in Dublin and at Central Park in New York. Uh, She wrote other songs for Garth. She co-wrote The Gift and We Shall Be Free, Learning to Live Again, which I love that song, and The Night Will Only Know. So she wrote several songs for Garth. This song, it it starts off talking about literal wolves, like bringing in the cattle and thinking about the wolves that have taken down the, the vulnerable cattle. And then it transitions into like the proverbial wolf at the door, like the the bank taking in you know, farmers and people who are struggling. And the song was, it made me really emotional. Like I was, I was tearing up listening to the song and I don't remember ever really listening to it before. And probably that's why, because if I played it and it it made me sad, I probably just skipped over it after that and didn't listen to it anymore. And it is a really good song, but it packs an emotional punch. It reminded me actually of growing up in the 80s and 90s and watching, do you guys remember the Farm Aid concerts? Yeah. Because they they were doing all the support then for, like, it was a big deal here because in Oklahoma, we obviously have a lot of farming more so where Garth grew up than, than where I am in the eastern part of the state. But in California too, especially up north, you guys have a lot of farmers there. So I know at that time they were really struggling. A lot of people were losing their their homes and um and so this song touched on that and it made me think of the, all those those shows growing up where they were trying to save some of those people and keep them in their homes and so this song came to Garth in 1988 and he and Randy Taylor who wrote Much Too Young to Feel This Damn Old were throwing darts at a place called Douglas Corner and Stephanie Davis is from Montana so in the anthology, he talks about there's this little girl from Montana and she 
comes up on the stage and she's playing the song Wolves and she says Willie Nelson has the song on hold. But Garth just kind of gravitated toward the stage while she was singing it. And to the degree that at the end of it, he said he felt embarrassed because he was standing like a couple of feet away from her, like holding his dart, just staring at her. (laughs) (laughs) And at the end, he told her, you know, like if he if Willie Nelson doesn't cut this song, we're working on my album right now, like I would do it. And of course, later, Willie Nelson did not cut the song and Garth did. And so Stephanie in the anthology talks about when she got the call from Garth saying it was like late at night and he was like, hey, we finished it. Do you want to hear the song? And so he played it for her and she said she just cried hearing it from his point of view because it was a song that to her, she almost threw it or she did throw it away, actually, because she was like, it's she hadn't had any luck for a while. She knew it wasn't what Nashville was looking for. And her boyfriend actually took it out of the trash and she finished writing the song. And so for her to hear it from his perspective and to see it turn into something was a, a life lesson and that sometimes you have to struggle through and really do the things that are important to you and that you believe in, even when it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And so she did all of that. But what really what I took away from it more from the, than even from the song was that because the song was about, you know, the wolves at the door and the people losing the their farms and their homes and she had grown up knowing that her grandparents had had to sell off their farm in the 40s after they raised their kids and worked so hard for the land, they just couldn't keep it. And so she had always daydreamed of buying that land someday and having it back in her family. And when she got those royalty checks from wolves, you know, what was to her a, a substantial amount of money, she had her dad go looking for land and she ended up buying a little piece of land there near her grandparents' farm in Montana, which I thought brought it full circle. And and even though it was kind of a sad song, it made it a happy ending and in the yeah. real world. So where it was even more important. But I really loved it, even though I, I probably won't have it on my playlist because it does make me sad. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys know this one already? I didn't know the song and I didn't know the story until I also read it in the anthology. And the story of her grandparents' farm and then her ultimately buying land near it. Oh my gosh, that just made my heart so happy Right, that the song itself, like you said, it's super sad and it makes me think about depressions and recessions and all those terrible things that hurt so many people and so many people in middle America that are running these farms and they're working day and night doing these things. And it's a thankless job and it's hard. And as they get older, it gets harder. And so, thinking of all that, when I think of it from that perspective, I get so sad. But when I think of what ultimately this song that, like you said, she threw in the trash, what it ultimately brought back for her, I, it just lightens my heart to think about it from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely, um, yeah, obviously I can say the same thing, but going back to the, you know, middle of America farms and, and these farmers, people who have to keep these farms going, it takes me like, you think, you know, you get produce and you get this and you get that. And to us, right. We just go to the store and we get it. We don't think about how hard it is to make it happen. And then you listen to a song like this, you do research on a song like this, where you figure out how hard it really is for them. And then you think about other country songs, you know, Al Dean's got a couple where, you know, they pray for rain, you know, and things like that. Like those are things that are out of their control in order to be able to keep those farms going. 
they can't control Mother Nature and rain. And then to think about these wolves just showing up at the door after busting their tail to make these, you know, this a life and, and to raise a family on it and taking it from them, it is a very, very sad song. Not one I was very, very familiar with. I don't know that it, I could see how it's a very sad song. It didn't make me sad enough not to listen to it. But, you know, it, it tells another, it's a different type of, of story that Garth could tell. So I, I thought the song was great. And like you guys went back to, ultimately at the end, what the song was able to do for her and, and the property next to her grandparents in Montana. And it was pretty cool, pretty cool ending. So, yeah, great song. And you know, it means a lot to Garth, like you mentioned, when he puts it at the end of the album. Yeah. I had that written down. The fact that it's his last song on this album, that means a lot to him. Yeah. So that makes me love it too. Okay. Well, that wraps us up for the last five songs of Garth's second album, No Fences. And now we will go into breaking news. Breaking news. So, breaking news this week, Garth is in L.A., in case you guys haven't heard. He hosted the Ellen DeGeneres show today, and I watched it, and it was really good. He even talks about Cowboy D Minor, which we've mentioned in our podcast in the past. So I love that. That made me laugh. He also was talking about a line of, I believe, not real, Garth underwear. So he called them undergarments which <laughs> made me giggle and the underwear that he showed was a pair of men's briefs and they were camo of course and he said what camo is a color so that made me laugh i enjoyed watching him on that show i think if he ever decides he wants to be a talk show host i think he could absolutely do it and he would give ellen degeneres and kelly clarkson a run for their money because he <laughs> was really really great at it and one more piece of breaking news. This week was the 58th annual American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers CMA Awards. It was hosted on November 11th, and Garth won an award. He won for songwriting for the song Dive Bar on his new album, Fun, which he wrote with Brian Kennedy. So shout out to Brian Kennedy. I went on and congratulated him on his Instagram page. Congratulations, Brian. That's awesome. And now we're going to go over to Pete for shout-outs. Shout-outs. Okay, so this week's shout-outs, we're going to start with Foster's DF for the Apple Podcast Review. It was a great review, and we really, really appreciate it. Also to Joseph Whitney off of Facebook for pointing out where the beer can opening is in Friends in Low Places at the 319 mark. We really appreciate you guys interacting with our social medias, and uh, we look forward to getting more info from you guys going forward. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Don't forget to visit Garthology.com and leave us a comment or a review. There's a special page where you can submit show ideas. And then also be sure and subscribe, download, rate, and review on your podcast platform of choice, and share us with your friends in low places. Yes, yes. And talking about friends in low places, if we speak about our social media platforms, you guys could always find us at facebook.com backslash GarthologyCast. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at GarthologyCast. And anytime that you guys could like one of our posts, share one of our posts, retweet, 
it definitely helps. And another cool thing that we also have going back at Carthology.com is the newsletter. You guys really got to check out the newsletter. It's doing really, really good for us. It turns out real, real neat, and it definitely gives you guys an update on what's coming up and what we've reviewed already in the past. And next time on Garthology, we'll be discussing Garth's Country Classics album from the Blame It All on My Roots box set. So dust off your cowboy boots, cue up your podcast platform, and join us. Until then, this has been Episode 7 of Garthology, and I'm Deb. I'm Pete. And I'm Jess, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye! Bye! Bye, everybody! In three, two, one. Hey guys, it's Deb. I'm Pete. (laughs) Here we go again. We got the ending already in the beginning. (laughs) Wow. What happened? What happened? Was it it? Was it a delay for you or something? Because you just sat there. (laughs) No, I don't know. I was just giving it. I don't know. No, I don't think so. All right, well, just zoned I, out. I was going to say, because right now you're talking fine. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I got stage fright. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to try this again. Number two. Three, two, one. Hey, guys, it's Deb. I'm Pete. <laughs> <laughs> what? the hell happened now? There must be a lag because it's like the longest thing. Oh, this one's gonna go well. I don't know what you guys are laughing at. Okay. Okay. We're professionals. Just, we can do if this. there's a gap, I'll just keep going. Just take your headphones off or something. <laughs> Alright. Oh, that was... <laughs> look at you and do it. <laughs> oh jeez. Okay. Three, two. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I j- I didn't make eye contact because I was like, I'm just not gonna. <laughs> uh, and now I got Gladys Knight and the pimps going through my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Oops. I don't know if we're allowed to cuss over these. I broke that rule a long time ago.